Well, hey, FaithBridge family, it's so great to be here with you. If you have a copy of your scriptures, we're in James chapter 1, and I want to read to you starting in verse 18, and we'll read 18 to 27. So grab your Bible, if you've got it, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, is speaking of God, who he just called the Father of lights. And here in verse 18, it says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, thanks for this moment around your word. I pray you would help us now to... Do what this text talks about, God, to receive with meekness your word and be changed by it, be liberated by it, be blessed in the doing of it. And I would encourage you, if you're willing, take a minute and pray and ask him, say, Lord, please teach me right now. And then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, I thank you for FaithBridge and the incredible work they're doing in Houston. I thank you for Ken Werlein, who's been such a gift to me as a mentor and who's such a phenomenal leader and pastor and a gift to the church. And so we all collectively say thank you for Ken, thank you for FaithBridge, and thank you for these few minutes around your word. Help us now uh, know you more and be changed as a result of being in your presence. And we pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, just a couple of years out of college, while I was youth pastor at FaithBridge, uh, I got a phone call from my sister who was living in Europe at the time. And she said, hey, Ben, I got a couple of days off. A friend of mine and I are going to travel to Italy for vacation. They said, but here's the deal. We've done no preparation. We have no plan. We have no place to stay and we don't speak the language. So we really need you to come meet us here with a plan. And uh, we'll be standing in Rome by that statue of that one guy which in hindsight was a brilliant play by my baby sister because she knew as a protective older brother, hearing that her and her friend were going to a foreign country with no plan at all and no place to stay would make me feel protective and I would move, which was true. And she also knew because I was a planner by nature, that protective instinct would lead me to plan the entire trip, which it did. I went to Barnes & Noble by the church that night and I grabbed every single travel book they had on Italy and began to research. And I remember a couple hours in, it occurred to me that all of these books 
were complete garbage for two reasons. Number one is they were filled with pictures. Full page, glossy, full color photos of all the things you would see as you traveled Italy. But as I looked at him, I was like, well, this is great. Here's a huge picture of Michelangelo's David. What am I supposed to hold it up to David and go like, yep, that's him. I can confirm. Like, I don't need your photos of what I'm about to see with my own eyes. I need you to tell me how to navigate the airport because I don't speak the language. And the second reason they were worthless is because they were filled with adjectives flowery language describing the beauty of all that you would see, how transcendent and vibrant all the different uh, art is. And I'm like, man, I will come up with my own adjectives as I look at that art. I need you to tell me how to navigate the train station because I don't speak the language. And it was a very frustrating experience realizing I have no guide and I almost left Barnes & Noble in dismay, except right at the end, I came across a book written by a prophet by the name of Rick Steves. And Rick's book did not have pictures in it, nor did it have particularly flowery language. But as I read it, I remember it struck me, he was saying things like, when you get to the airport in Rome, don't get traveler's checks, they're a waste of time. Don't go to one of those money exchange places, they mark it up too high. Go to gate number four, there's an ATM machine, get your cash there. I'm like, okay, that feels specific. And then he was like, and you're going to need to get a bus ticket to take you to the train station. Don't buy the ticket outside. They mark it up 20%. Buy your bus ticket inside and you'll save money. And I realized, well, okay, this guy is giving me truth. And he's giving me wisdom on how to navigate this world I'm unfamiliar with. So I start highlighting. I buy the book. I'm trying to absorb it. I'm taking notes. I show up at the airport and I'm just digging hard into this book. And I remember as I was sitting waiting for the flight, this sweet girl walked up and looked down at me and she said, excuse me, are you going to Italy? I think because she saw the word Italy emblazoned on the front of my book. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just reviewing this section about uh, navigating the train station. And I remember she said, your book has a section on how to navigate train stations? And she was holding hers and she said, mine doesn't have anything like that. And I looked up and I said, no, yeah, I know, I've seen your book. And... Uh, Frankly, I don't know how you're going to make it. It's worthless. And she was like, can I see yours? I'm like, well, sure, come down here. We start looking at it together. I'm like, can you believe this? And we're looking at it. And while we're doing it, this other girl walks up and she's like, excuse me, are y'all going to Italy? And I'm like, what is with clueless women traveling alone in Italy? Sit down, love. And we began to look at this book together. And I kid you not, when the trip is over, uh, we got out of the airport in Rome. And these girls, who I had not met previously, each are holding one of my arms as we walk through the airport together with a book in front of us like, Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And we're walking through the airport and I was like, well, according to Rick here, when we get to gate four, we should see an ATM machine. And it was right there. And I remember I said, and he told us to buy the bus ticket inside. And we went outside and we're like, it is marked up 20% out here. He's giving us truth. And I gotta tell you, the whole trip was like that. There were sections about how to go see Michelangelo's David where you could bypass the line that would take hours. And he said, if you follow my instructions, you'll be alone with the statue of Michelangelo's David. We followed his instructions. And when I got there, it was just me, my sister, her friend, and David. I remember in this book, he talked about 
There a, a secret passage from inside the Sistine Chapel that you could go through that would dump you out into St. Peter's Basilica. And we followed that and you went through it. And I remember we opened this door and as we stepped into it, there was a guy there with a machine gun. And I kid you not, I looked down at my book and it says, don't be afraid of the man with Uzi. And so we were like, okay, book, and walked past him and straight into the St. Peter's Basilica, thereby bypassing a line that had wrapped all the way around Vatican City. And the whole trip was like that. It was amazing. So that by the end of it, every single photo of my sister and I in Italy had Rick Steves in the book. Literally, it was just us like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. just us taking pictures with Rick, walking past long lines of people with inferior books that we were like, y'all got the wrong book. Sorry, next time you'll pass the line like us. See ya. And this whole trip was amazing. Why? Because we had a guide who was giving us truth about reality and then wisdom of how to navigate it successfully. Now, why am I saying all this? Because this is what James tells us is true of our scriptures, what he calls the royal law, that this book gives us truth about how reality works, and it gives us wisdom on how to navigate reality successfully. And so James will tell us, you need to peer into this book, persevere in doing so, and do what it says, and you will be blessed in the doing. We need a guide through this chaotic world. And God has spoken to us. He has not left us lost. He has given us truth and he has given us wisdom. He's giving us his word to navigate this world. And we need to get into this book. And yet James does something fascinating here. And I remember the first time I heard Tim Keller point this out, it was so mind blowing to me. He said, did you notice James doesn't start there? Because if James started there, hey, you need to read this holy book and approximate your life to its teachings you might be tempted to do what, what a lot of people are tempted to do with Christianity. Just lump it in with any religion and say, well, that's all religions. You just pick a holy book and do whatever it says and you'll be better off than people who lack a holy book. So your holy book happens to be the Bible. Theirs is something else. Everyone get a holy book and you're better off than people who have no book. But that's not what James says. And if you look at our text, what James will tell us is before you do any work in this book, this book has to go to work on you. And so as we look at this passage, James is going to tell us, you need to be converted by this word. And you need to be implanted with this word. And then you'll be liberated by this word. That's where it's going. We need the voice of God in this chaotic day. But before we begin to do the work of this book, it needs to do a work on us. And to begin, we need to be converted by this word. Did you see it in verse 18? Verse 18, he says, of his own will, speaking of God, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That brought us forth is birthing imagery. He says, what you and I need, and you remember earlier, he was talking about how God is a good God and worth trusting. He says, you can trust God. Why? Exhibit A, because he brought us forth. He gave birth to us by the word of truth. It's the testimony of your entire New Testament that what you and I need more than anything is to be born again, to be brought forth by the will and pleasure of God. This is what Jesus taught. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to him? Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, had most of the Old Testament memorized and yet still felt empty spiritually. How many of you know it's possible to hear the word of God preached maybe for years of your life, but still feel spiritually dry? It was true of Nicodemus. And he shows up to Jesus and he said, you have to be from God. There's nobody like you. And Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth. 
you must be born again. Which was a devastating thing to say to a religious person who through his effort by obeying this book was trying to earn the approval of God. Jesus uses an illustration, the one moment in Nicodemus's life over which he had no control. Nicodemus did not contribute to his own birth. And that's true of all of us. You know that, right? You did not help mom at your birth. You didn't pitch in like, hey, mom, just get it started with the breathing and I'll finish up here. That's not how it worked. You were brought into this world entirely by the will and pleasure and effort of your mother. You were born of grace. And Jesus says to be born again, it is entirely by the work of God. So Nicodemus, you might have memorized this book by the time you were one years old. But what you need is you must be born again. The spirit of God has to make you something new. Because Paul told the Ephesians, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. We aren't just a little misadjusted. We aren't people who just need a self-help book. We just got done worshiping powerfully earlier. You don't sing about a self-help book. You sing about a savior. What you and I need is not just a couple tips. We need a rescuer. We need a God who came for us because though we're made beautiful in the image of God, all of us are broken and devastated because of sin. And the Bible will say, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But Paul told us in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. You and I are dead and it's Christ who makes us alive. Peter said in 1 Peter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worth worshiping and singing to. Why? Because he caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John said in 1 John, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That the testimony of John and Peter and James and Jesus is you and I must be born again. The great evangelist Dale Moody was asked one time, why do you keep saying you must be born again? And he said, because you must be born again. That's where it starts. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, let me tell you something. The testimony of the word of God is that you and I, that were beautiful in the image of God, were broken because of sin. And so Jesus' arrival on the planet was not to be a self-help life coach. It was to be a substitute, to live the perfect life you and I could not, to die the death you and I deserved. And in that death was a transaction. Our sin landed on him. And when he rose from the dead, if you put your faith in Jesus, his resurrection life comes landing on us. And you are born again, made new by the grace and mercy of God. And how does that happen? James tells you, you were brought forth by the word of truth. Someone preached this word to you and you believed it. Peter said it, that you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, the living and enduring word of God. Someone preached to you this message of Jesus and you believed. Maybe it was your mom. When you were a little kid, you knelt by your bedside and put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you were at vacation Bible school. Maybe it was somebody like me doing this, preaching the word of God. And you realize that's what I've been longing for. And you put your faith in Jesus. And having believed, you were made new. You were born again. That's where it starts. This is what you need. So before we begin doing this work, this word does a work on us. It shows us Jesus Christ. Jesus told religious leaders, you scour this text because in it you think you find life. This word testifies about me. The word is a tutor leading us to the person of Jesus.
And yet James will go on and say, you know what's fascinating? He says, it's not just like someone preached this word to you and then you believed it. He said, someone preached this word to you and then it stayed. Did you notice he says in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. So we're not just converted by the word, we're implanted with the word that it somehow roots in us and changes us. Jesus said that to his enemies. He said to them, hey, these guys, which again, who were religious leaders that had much of the Bible memorized, he said, you guys seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. How many of you know you can be around the word of God and it not be in you? But Jesus says, when you put your faith in me, the word of God gets planted inside of you. It constitutionally changes you. This was one of Jesus' first sermons. Do you remember it was a crazy moment in his life. It was one of Jesus' first sermons. He steps out in front of a crowd of people and he walks out and he says, farmer, he's throwing out seeds in the dirt. Some seeds landed on the road, birds ate it. Some seeds landed in some shallow soil. Little plant came up, sun scorched it, died. Some grew a little bit, weeds choked it. Some seeds landed in good soil, became a big crop. And then he said, if you have ears, you should be listening. And then he left. And his disciples came to him later and were like, Jesus, um, great message, man. Uh, quick question, though. Uh, what? What was that? Like, why the farming lesson? What are we doing? And Jesus told him, I'm giving you the secrets of the kingdom. He said, the seed is the word of God and the soils are human hearts. He said, some of you, this word of God will be preached in front of you at youth camp, at church, and your heart is like flinty ground. It just pings off. Others of you, maybe the word of God began to take root, but the scorching heat of persecution, some of your buddies go, oh, you religious now? And you're like, what? No, not me. And you're kept from growth. Others of you, the word of God begins to grow in you. He says, but the weeds choke it. And he calls the weeds the worries of life or the desire for other things. Some people, the word of God is crying out to you. The average American spends three hours a day looking at their smartphone. For many of us, we don't have three minutes for the word of God, but we got three hours for the world, whatever it wants to bring us through that screen. And the reality is he said, and it chokes out the blessing of the word of God in your life. He said, but some of you, the soil of your heart will be ready and the seed of my word will plant and explode into life. And that's what conversion is like. That the word of God lands and it stays and it explodes into life in us. Something constitutional changes in us. We're implanted with the word. This was the testimony of the whole Old Testament. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God's forming a people, he gives the law to Moses, the holiness of God on those tablets. Moses comes down from the mountain and reads to them the holiness of God. And do you remember in Deuteronomy 5? When the people hear it, they say, all that is written in it, we will do. Some people with some know-how in an external book, we will obey it. And God said, oh, that you had such a heart. He said, you can't. And you see the whole Old Testament is the demonstrable failure of people trying to approximate their life to a book. They can't do it. By the time you get to the book of Judges, they're carving people up and sending their body parts to each other. It gets pretty grim. I don't know if you've ever done a devotional in Judges. You're like, well, that's the most horrible thing I've ever read. Time to go to work. It gets bizarre. But the message of the Old Testament is just some external rules can't change the human heart. So in the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, he tells you, God gave us the covenant on a 
on a page, we couldn't obey it. So he's giving us a new covenant where he says, I will put my law within you and on your heart, I will write it. He says, I'm gonna make a new covenant where I change your heart. I put my law in there. What does that mean? That suddenly we have it all memorized when you put your faith in Christ? Well, no. Ezekiel, the prophet, clarifies in Ezekiel 36. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and he will move you to obey my decrees. When God implants his word in you, it's not so much that he gives you all the word memorized. He implants in you an inclination for his word. That the spirit of Christ is also called the spirit of truth. That the spirit God has put in you longs for this book. That you can no longer see this as just an interesting piece of literature. This is now your food. This is no longer something you find fascinating. This is your drink. This is life for you. You've been reorganized constitutionally that you live off this. It's like a vampire. Somebody in my house is watching the Twilight movies right now. I won't say who it is. Uh, I am married to her. But as she's watching these movies, how does a vampire work? They're converted into a vampire and it changes them constitutionally that they now feast off of death. Right? They're like the anti-Christian. That's why they're scared of crosses. Well, this is what James is saying. When God makes you born again, he changes you constitutionally, where now you feast off of life. This word to you is not just a fascinating document. It is your food. It is your drink. You are built for this. The spirit in you loves the truth of God's word. Loves it. Little John the Baptist. Do you remember... When Elizabeth was pregnant, she was told that little baby will have the spirit of truth inside of him from the time he's in your tummy. And then you remember when Mary, God tells her, hey, you're going to give birth to the son of God. He's like, I know that's a lot to take in. Go visit your relative Elizabeth. You'll see that she's pregnant, even though she's old, which is pretty wild. And that'll confirm you that I'm really serious. You're giving birth to the son of God. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth's house. And do you remember as she walks up with Jesus and her belly and Elizabeth's got J to B and hers, what happens? As soon as they get close, Elizabeth's like, whoa. Little fetus John is freaking out because he's just getting near little fetus Jesus. And as those little fetuses get together, little J the B is filled with the spirit of God that longs for nothing more than the glory of Jesus Christ. So even though he's not even born yet, as they get close, little John the Baptist is in there like, that's what I'm built for. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm excited. And you see him get amped even though he's not born. And the Bible says that's what you and I are like that we are built for Jesus Christ. We are built for his word. You are constitutionally built to live off this. It is your food. It is your drink. And so Peter says, like newborn babies crave the spiritual milk of the word of God so that by it you might grow. You are built for this. Don't keep feasting on the chaos of this world and then wondering why you're still hungry and thirsty. You were made to feast on the word of God. This is your food. This is your drink. This is your wisdom. This is your life. If we've been changed by the word of God, we are meant to be changed in how we live. And James, if you know his whole book, is calling for consistency on the inside and out. God has converted you by his word. He's implanted with you with his word. And now we're meant to be liberated by this word. It's the law that sets us free. He's given us an inclination for it and an invitation to live by it, and we'll be blessed in the doing. Isn't it fascinating that he calls it, in verse 25, the law of liberty? It's the law that will set you free, which some people tend to think of those as opposites. Laws restrict you. Laws, the opposite of freedom. But we really don't believe that. Uh, there are laws that liberate. 
no, many of you are vacationing in lawless countries because it's not free to be in a place with no structure. The right kind of law will set you free. And here the Bible is giving you structure that allows for you flourishing in life. It gives you financial structure that can give you peace, relational structure that will give you safety. The Bible gives you wisdom and how to flourish in the world that God made. It's the law of liberty. It'll set you free. But you have to persevere in reading it and then persist in the doing of it. And it's fascinating, I don't know if you notice this, James does not suddenly give us a lot of technique about how to study the Word of God. So I could sit here and say, so here's how to have a quiet time. You get up in the morning, you do this. He doesn't do all that. Rather, he begins to talk about heart inclination. And it's almost confusing to some people because he says in verse 18, you are brought forth by the word of truth. And then he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Put away filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, but be doers, not hearers only. And some people are like, well, he starts talking about the word. He gets sidetracked about anger. Then he gets back on track with the word. But he doesn't get sidetracked. It's all together. He says, you were born of the word of God. And then he says, now you be careful because there's a spirit in you. Remember earlier, he was talking about you're going to face trials, difficult circumstances. And in trials, there'll be temptations to react to that discomfort, to react to that temptation in a way that will bring destruction. And here he tells you particularly, in the middle of a trial, when you're in a difficult moment, you'll be tempted to do what? Be slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to be angry. Try to imagine that, being in a stressful experience where you're tempted to be quick to speak and quick to be angry. You ever been in a scenario like that? I know that probably doesn't happen in Texas. It happens up here sometimes. Try to imagine it. Maybe someplace in the world where people are suddenly enraged in a heartbeat and lashing out on their social media. Oh yeah, it sounds like every second of every single day that James is speaking of, that the world does this. As the world's gotten more stressful, we react. And James says, man, we don't react in anger like that. The world does that. We don't. We are slow to speak and slow to become angry. Unrestrained anger will become unrestrained words. And that temptation can bring destruction. And really, it's a signal of a proud heart. Well, I think the world should be this way, and I demand that it be so. And so he contrasts it. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What we need is the humility to say, I don't know how to navigate this world. I don't know how to respond to that person. I don't know how to deal with these challenges in front of me. I don't know how to talk to that person who's so angry, who I don't understand where their worldview is coming from. But I need the Lord to guide me so with meekness I want to receive the implanted word. Because if you can with meekness receive this word, it's a law of liberty. It'll set you free from making some real mistakes. So I remember for me, early in the days at Breakaway, there was a moment where I was early in leading this ministry on the campus of A&M, and I remember a college student came to me, and we sat down at a coffee shop, and he told me, hey man, um, I'm now the leader of a ministry that's designed to bring unity among all the Christian organizations on campus. It's an organization built around unity for all Christians and all organizations, and so we're going to do a week-long series of events to promote unity among all us Christians. And I was like, that's a great idea. And he said, yeah. So I've planned events every single night. So we planned a night, Tuesday night. So I'm going to commandeer your ministry of Breakaway, and I've brought my own speaker and my own band, and I'm just going to take over everything you do. And I remember as he said that, I was like, whoa, wait, what? No, man, I don't know you. And you're like 19, like I can't just hand over to you the ministry. I have a board of directors. I'm, I'm responsible for this. I can't hand it to you. And I remember the kid said to me, he goes, I'll tell you what, man. 
I don't want to compete against you, but I will. And I remember when he said that, it struck me as so arrogant that I got furious. I mean, instantly became hot like, who do you think you are? How dare you? And I remember that moment, I was like, I was about to lash out on this kid. I was about to say something crazy. There was a voice in my head that was like, punch him, dude, punch him, quick, my toke. I'll never see it coming. But then some voice in my mind was like, no, Ben, college ministers are not meant to hit college students. That's in a handbook somewhere. Maybe it's in the Bible, I don't know. But I was like, don't hit him. And so I didn't do something that crazy, but I just said something kind of like passive aggressive, like, well, we'll see about that. And then left. But I was so angry. I remember outside this, Coffee shop, I was like, oh, I gotta burn this kid down. I gotta punish him. I gotta dig up dirt on him and then put it out online to try to undermine his leadership, to ruin his life. I gotta do something. But before I went nuclear on him, I decided maybe I should call a mentor. And so I called a member of the board of directors. I remember he stunned me because he said, Ben, do nothing. He said, you can't punish him. He said, the word of God said, vengeance is mine, save the Lord. He said, it's not yours to give vengeance, but you pray for those who persecute you. You love your enemies. And if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. He said, Ben, I think you need to pray for this kid. And I think you might need to help him. He said, if you need to cancel breakaway that night, just cancel it. He said, you'll be back next week and the week after that and the week after that and 10 years after that, you'll be going strong. Uh, so don't get spun up about this. And it was so hard for me to receive that. I was so angry, but it made sense and was just shot through with scripture. So I did it. I called the kid and was like, hey, man, it's your night. You, you run your whole week of events. We'll cancel that week. You go. It'll be great. And about three weeks later, he called me to meet him back at that coffee shop. And he had a completely different demeanor. Shoulders slump, head down. And as we started to talk, he confessed to me that he had completely overextended himself financially, that he couldn't afford all the speakers and bands he booked. And so he asked me if I would give him money to fund the event. And, and I said, I can't do that. I can't give you this. It's not my money to give away. I said, but I tell you what, man, we know the venue you're running. We'll help with the venue. You can have our sound equipment. We'll kind of help you do some stuff. But as I watched this kid struggle with this tough lesson he was learning, God stirred in my heart compassion. And I took my hand and put it on his shoulder and began to pray for him. And I remember as I was praying for him, it struck me like three weeks ago, I wanted to punch this kid. And now I'm praying over this kid, which is much more of a ministerial thing to do. It seems much more Christian, right? And I just remember thanking God that I wasn't quick to speak and quick to become angry, but that I was slow to speak because my anger wouldn't have brought the righteousness God required. It wouldn't have helped this kid. All it would have done was tarnish the reputation of breakaway. But God was gracious to me. Why? Because I listened to a mentor who would speak to me the word of God. And having the humility to get under this word liberated me. It set me free from temptation leading me to destruction. And it's meant to be the same for you. But we have to persevere. Did you notice? We persevere in looking into this word. It is work to peer into it, to keep staring at it. I remember for me when I was in college, I had the opportunity to travel with a mentor of mine. And I watched him he would preach to these crowds of people and then he would sit down on the edge of these steps and people would line up to ask him questions about life. And I remember as a young guy thinking about going to ministry, I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna sit next to him. And as people ask him a question, I'm gonna imagine what my answer would be. I would pretend they're asking me and I would come up with my response. I won't say it out loud because if it's better than his, I don't wanna embarrass him, but I'll just kind of do this game inside and then check him on his wisdom and whether he can measure up. 
And so I remember this first kid comes up and he asks a really complicated question about some family issues. And I remember as he asked this question and what should I do, I accessed my mind and I was like, dude, I don't know. Like if he would ask me, I would have been like, All right, man, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But then I heard my mentor give a gracious answer that was wise and it was amazing. The next person came up with a dating question and they asked, what would you do? And I accessed my file and it was like, file not found. I was like, dude, I had no idea what I would say. My mentor gave him this brilliant scripture saturated answer. And he did this over and over again, over all these different issues and challenges and questions in life. To by the end of it, I was blown away. And I remember asking him, how did you just do that? Money, dating, relationships, family, every question, you had a brilliant response. How did you do that? And I remember he said, Ben, do you want to know the difference between me and the people who come to ask me for wisdom? I said, yeah, I really want to. And he said, because I read this word every day and they don't. And I want to challenge you to persevere into looking into this word because it's the law of liberty. It'll set you free. But we're not meant to just look into it. We're meant to live it. And he continues to say, we're meant to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And he said, if you're just a hearer, you're like someone who goes into a mirror and then forgets what they look like. You know, what does that mean? Um, a quick way to explain it, I remember I had a friend say, you're meant to go to the Bible the way a woman goes to a mirror, not like a man. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, most men, when they go to a mirror, he said, you've seen a men when you're in like massive bathrooms, they walk into the mirror, look at it for five seconds, like it's gonna be the king and they walk out. He said, but when women come to a mirror, they come with the expectation to be changed as a result of the encounter. That as they look in that mirror, they're like, oh, I'm fixing this, I'm adjusting that, or let me pull out some stuff, I'm gonna change this and make that right. I'm gonna change as a result of looking in this mirror. And he says, look into this word and expect to be changed as a result. Don't just be a looker, be a liver. Live out the words in this book. Or if you don't like a mirror illustration, think of football. I remember when I was in college, I was in a class and I sat by the starting quarterback for Texas A&M's football team. I remember the class was on the sociology of America. It was stuff like the layouts of malls and Amish furniture building. It was the most non-applicable class for my life I'd never been in. I never took notes. It felt like a complete waste of time. I would just sit there staring at the ceiling. But I remember I was sat next to this uh, quarterback and he just was always intently looking at his book and like he was seriously focused. And the contrast between us was so stark. I remember finally at one point as we were listening to this video about Amish pie making, I'm looking at him and he's that same level of intensity. And I finally hit him and was like, dude, what are you doing? And I remember he folded up his book so I could see it. And inside of his book was another book filled with little X's and O's and squiggles. And I was like, wait. I said, is that the playbook for Texas A&M's football team? And he said, no. He said, these are the new plays I have to learn this week. And then he kept studying. And I remember at that moment, it struck me the contrast. I was half-heartedly studying in this class because it wasn't going to affect my life. This dude is intensely studying this book because there's going to be a test in about three days called multiple 250-pound men trying to take his head off. And it's going to matter a great deal whether he steps left or steps right. And we're meant to study the book like him that I study this like my life depends on it because we'll be blessed in the doing. And so I want to challenge you. 
Pray and ask God, when am I going to get into this word? I got to tell you, as coronavirus hit, I did what a lot of us did. I would just listen to the news all the time, every day. And I did it to stay informed, to make informed decisions. But I realized over the time, I wasn't just informed, I was anxious. And it was making me more anxious and robbing from me healthy decision-making. And finally, I realized I need to change things. And I changed my morning routine. Rather than waking up with the news, I would wake up and go for a walk. And I would listen to the audio Bible. And I would let the word of God speak to me before the world spoke to me. Now I sit in a chair in my office and I put my phone and my screens on the other side of the room. I want the word of God to shape my thinking before the world. How are you going to do it? Be someone who peers into the word of God, that it might liberate you. And then we live it out. I got to tell you, the world needs to see us look different. And you see, James will come on and he says, hey, people who have been changed by this word, we're going to talk different. Our mouths will sound different than the rest of the world. We will care for the orphan and widow in their distress. We'll care for hurting people. And we'll have a different moral standard. We'll be unstained by the world. We'll be moral and compassionate. We'll be patient. We'll be kind. We'll be wise and we'll be blessed. And I want that for you and I want it for me. So let's be a people of this book. We've been changed by it and planted with it. Let's live according to it because the world is lost and it needs guidance and we have it. So let's be people of the book. Let's let our lives change as a result of it and let the world see people who are blessed because we have a guide through the chaos of life. And let me encourage you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul called the law a tutor meant to lead us to Christ. This word testifies to the word of life, Jesus Christ. Before you do anything written in this book, this book is meant to do something to you. It's meant to lead you home. You need Jesus, not as a self-help guru, but as a savior, the one who came for you and for me to set us free. My prayer for you is you'd put your faith in Jesus. And then as we read his words, I promise you, we will become more like him and the world needs to see him in us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you save us by your amazing grace. That it saves a wretch like me. And then once you convert us, you counsel us with your word so we can be a bright shining light to a hurting world. I pray for anybody listening to this now who's never put their faith in Jesus, that even now, Lord, they might do it. They might say yes to the offer of grace being given to them through the finished work of Jesus. And friend, if that's you, tell him now, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are bringing me forth as a result of right now, the word of truth being preached. I want to put my faith in Jesus to forgive me, to heal me, to change me. And if you put your faith in Jesus, text the word victory to the number on your screen. Let us know that God is giving you victory over sin through the finished work of Jesus. And God, for those of us who know you, James is going to call us for consistency. Let the outside match the in. If God has renovated our heart, it should renovate our lives. I pray in a day of anxiety and anger, we would look different. In trial and temptation, we wouldn't give in to anger and destruction but we would be people who navigate the chaos by your counsel and people would see a blessed community that's living according to your word. And I pray, Lord, we would be gracious, we would be kind, we would be wise. 
And Lord, I pray that as this season moves forward, more and more people would come to us because they see their life is better. And we could show them within these pages the word of life. Lord, thank you for making us a people of the book. May we peer into it and find in it the liberty we need to set us free. Thank you, God, for amazing grace. Let it soak into us and change us for your glory, God, and our good. Amen. Amen.